0: Uh, thank you all for attending my session, which is titled, Imaginative Selling, Bringing the Humanity Back to Create Your Advantage. Um, it's really an honor to be here. This is my second SKUCon. Uh, I was at the one in uh, Vegas earlier this year and it was, it was a great time and it's, a, it's really a great event. How many of you, uh, by show of hands, how many of you have ever seen me speak By show of hands, how many of you have no idea who the hell I am? That's a tough way to start a presentation. So my name is Bill Petrie. Um, I've been in the industry uh, about 16 years, mainly on the distributor side of the business. Uh, I've worked for large companies in sales leadership positions. And two years ago, I started my own company, Brandivate, where I work and partner with um, some supplier clients and distributor clients to help them grow their business. So it's a little bit about me, very little bit. You guys know what that logo is? Uber. It's Uber. So I want to tell a little story. So Saturday, I live in Nashville. Saturday I became an Uber driver. I'd signed up a few weeks ago and I use Uber all the time when I'm traveling, but I never, I really wanted to get the experience from a driver's perspective. Now do any of you actually ever, have? Been, I know Dana Zezo, you've driven for Uber, yeah? You've not? Oh, well, now you've just told everybody you're a liar. Um, <laughs> so has anybody driven for Uber? It's a very interesting experience. It's, the, the interface is very similar to what you'd experience on the passenger side. But I did a little experiment, knowing I was going to be presenting this session today. And the first person I picked up on a ride, I didn't engage them at all. I got them there safely, didn't speed, but I didn't talk to them. I didn't ask They were from out of town, where they were going, what they were doing in Nashville, nothing. And so I dropped them off and then I picked up my next ride. Next ride I was engaging. They were going to the Guns N' Roses concert. So we talked about Guns N' Roses and they were very excited to be from, they're from Louisville and they're very excited to be in Nashville. Hadn't been in Nashville in 10 years. What was interesting with that, I had a great conversation. So what was interesting when I looked at my two ratings for, because you can rate your driver, the people I did, didn't speak to at all gave me a three. I didn't do anything wrong, I was right on time. The people who I spoke with and engaged with, was human with, gave me a five, and also gave me a $5 tip, which very rarely happens in the Uber world. I never tip a driver outside of what's already going to be in the fee. So I wanna share that story to start out about how bringing the humanity back into selling and being yourself can make a huge, huge difference. I think we all agree in the promotional products world, one of the most difficult things to do is stand out. I certainly think it is. We all buy the same products from the same supplier, selling them to the same clients. It's very difficult to, to stand out. And technology's made it even more difficult for us to express our differentiation. I don't know if your family's like mine, but, you know, technology brings us closer together, but it also brings, you know, puts a wedge between us when I see all of us sitting on our respective chairs around a TV and we're all playing Angry Birds or whatever we're doing, checking Facebook. So, it drives us apart. And because of that technology and the ease of information, it's really, really difficult for us to stand out. So, for the first time, maybe in history, we're really in a consumer-dictated sales process where anywhere between... 16, eighty percent of the sales process actually happens outside of human interaction. Right? I can go to a grocery store, I don't have to deal with a checkout line, I can scan my own groceries. I can go on Amazon, I can pick what I want, I can do my own research, I don't have to deal with a human being at all. So it's a consumer dictated sales process and it makes injecting humanity a lot harder because it's harder to get in front of people. People don't want to see us anymore, it's very difficult to do that. So we attend sales training. I have to look at my notes. I decided to do a presentation with absolutely no notes on the screen. So I have to look at my notes occasionally. So we go to sales training because we want to learn how to sell. And so all sales training, though, ends up being the same. There's a problem with it. They em- emphasize very similar behaviors, whether it's ABC, you know, always be closing, or my, one of my favorites when I first went to sales training, feel, felt, found. You know, Mr. Customer, I understand how you feel many of my current customers felt the exact same way, but you know what they found out? Is that by working with me, you know, everything was rainbows, lollipops, and unicorns. And so everybody starts sounding the same. Or it's coming up with that unique selling proposition. Um, Or role playing, the the worst part of any sales training. Anybody been to a sales training where there's role playing? And I'm not talking, Dana, I'm not talking about that kind of role playing, so don't raise your hand. Um, But role playing is the worst because you practice but the the situations are always so glossed over, they're so unrealistic, they're so idealistic, it doesn't help at all. Um, Or, you know, every, you hear things like, every no gets you closer to a yes. So every sales training makes you follow these rules and it's a system and it's the same, from their perspective, it's the same tried and true method to get you to grow your sales. And they guarantee results, but what happens is you become robotic because we all start sounding the same, right? We all start saying the same things, using the same catchphrases, And what happens is that there's no creativity. We don't inject our own personality into the sales process. And so we become a little bit robotic. Not as cool as bender dancing, but you get the point. So when the creativity and personality is gone, that's what happens. So when we become robotic, we take away The biggest single differentiator we have, God, that's really distracting, isn't it? (laughs) That's like super distracting. It's mesmerizing. I can't dance like that. Um, But when it's taken out of the sales process, we take out you. You're the biggest differentiator. Each one of us is our own biggest differentiator, and we take that out of the sales process. So it's about bringing that personal touch back to our industry, back to our sales and what we do. Does anyone know what that number represents? Does anyone want me to stop talking so they can go get skew brew? 70% of of buying experiences are based on how the customer feels they are treated. How the customer feels they are treated. Okay? So we need to make sure we're treating customers right. And my little experiment with Uber absolutely validated that thought 100%. So sales is still very much a conversation between people, but it's changing, it's evolving, right? And I think people in this room, we're smart, and everybody knows and understands that the way goods and services are sold is evolving a little bit. But it's not really changing as much as it's evolving. And when our world, when the sales world's changing, evolving, and our clients are changing, and we don't evolve with it, it becomes a real problem. But the concept of a basic sales transaction hasn't changed for decades. Probably hasn't changed for centuries. Okay? Business is based upon transactions. A transaction's going to be between a, a, a provider and a consumer. And each side of that transaction, they're going to try to maximize the value they get, right? So it's our job, if you're a distributor, to maximize your profit margin, it's your customer's job to beat you up on price as much as they can, somewhere in the middle everybody feels like they got some sort of fair deal. So at its core, your business, my business, anybody's business in this room, it's based on the simple concept of exchanging value uh, between a provider and consumer. And Even in the case where it's something free like Google, there's still a value to be had. Google's a perfect example. They provide a free service where we search for things, but they they take things, they collect your data, don't they? They collect your data. You, you do a Google search and then you go to other websites, all of a sudden, things you just looked for, your products are right there if you've gone to Amazon. It's pretty, pretty amazing and scary stuff. But they're also going to show you advertising. So in exchange for that free service and giving you every possible bit of information in the world, they're going to get two things. And the advertiser. They provide a service that delivers an enormous audience, and they can target that audience. So I want to take a deeper look into the sales transaction a little bit, so we can kind of rip it apart a little bit, put some humanity back into it. So I look at like a golf ball sitting on a tee, not a tee Hamilton. A golf ball sitting on a tee, a sales transaction uh, doesn't happen without applying a little force. Right, I look at clients that are in a constant state of rest until we apply some force to them, or some force is applied to them. So assuming we all agree with that, you know, Newton's first law states that an object at rest will stay at rest, an object in motion will, will stay in motion. So increasingly, we have, to, we have to be the external force. Each one of us in this room for our clients, we are that external force. And that could be a Facebook post, that could be a tweet, It could be a spec sample. It could be a virtual sample. It could be a direct mail piece. It could be a cold call. It could be uh, getting on the trade show floor. It could be any of those things to apply force. So the first thing I want you to, if you want to write down, you don't have to, um, it's your responsibility as a provider, whether you're the supplier or distributor in this room, it's your full responsibility to create the force necessary to get your target consumer moving. That's your job. You have to do that. Once we get the client moving, we need to ensure that they're going to continue moving in the direction we want them to go. And we also don't want to slow it down, right? We want people to get through that buying process as quickly as possible. I know I do. So I have an expression when I'm, I'm thinking about a chaos, and it's, it's a goat rodeo. And this is exactly where your clients are at, your prospects are at, and your pipeline. They're in a goat order. They don't wanna be sold, but they absolutely have to be convinced. They don't wanna be sold, but we have to convince them that our solution that we're presenting is the one that's going to give them the most value, the most benefit, whatever you wanna call it. So this is where that humanity comes in, and where you can either help, or you can hinder the sales process. So this is where it's critical to have an understanding of each client's purchasing journey and each client is going to have a different purchasing journey. Just like ten of us could go buy a car and each of one of us is going to go about it a slightly different way because we're going to have different hot button issues we're going to deal with, we're going to have different expectations, so on and so forth. So we need to understand across a purchasing journey what's their pain, why is resolving that pain important, how long have they experienced? pain? What are the solutions? Have they tried to alleviate the pain, but maybe failed, maybe success a little bit? How much are they willing to spend to ease that pain? What's their budget? And how are they going to measure that it was actually the problem solved? Asking those types of questions really starts getting you to start caring about what their issue is, and helps move them through that purchasing journey. So the second thing I want you to write down is it's the full responsibility of you as the provider to understand your customer's purchasing journey and make it as easy as possible. We've all been through sales uh, experiences that are painful, right? I'm sure each one of us can, you know, whether it's a customer service issue or whatever. So we have to make it as easy as possible because if we don't, there is absolutely someone in this room who can do exactly what you're doing and they'll find someone who will do it the way they want it done. There are going to be resistance points, and you need to understand them, and traditionally, these have been uh, objections, you know, and the master sales, you had to come up, had all these tricks to overcome sales objections, remember that from sales training? Never really seen, there's always a couple, you know, the Ben Franklin clothes, and all these things, it just feels so hackneyed. Remember, we're in a consumer direct, dictated sales process. And it makes it difficult to overcome these resistance points. And there's going to be resistance points. So it means along the purchasing journey, you're going to have to really understand, and more importantly, anticipate what those resistance points might be. And it could be a number of things. And you have to do this while you're trying to do everything to make sure the transaction keeps moving along at the pace we need it to move along. Progressive insurance and the way they quote car insurance is a perfect example of this. So car insurance is a price sensitive business. Nobody likes buying it. It's inherently confusing because everybody's got their own, every company's got their own little pricing matrix. And it's difficult. Oh, and by the way, everyone wants to feel like they're getting a good deal, deal on car insurance, even though we're all required by law to buy it. So it makes it really tricky to do that. So progressive knew that that was a resistance point, and so they slowed down the buying process and the purchasing decision by realizing and accepting two things, that one, people are going to shop around for car insurance. I shop around. I'm sure everybody else in here does too. Second, they knew that if someone bought car insurance from them and they found out later they could have gotten a cheaper price from somewhere else, they're going to lose them as a client forever. So why not circumvent the entire process? So you go to Progressive's site, they will put their price for car insurance along with every single one of their competitors. Very, Pretty revolutionary stuff when you think about it. And the first year they did that, they saw their sales increase by 32%. That's a pretty impressive number. So they anticipated what the transa- what the transaction resistance point was, and they just worked, they mitigated it. They went around it. So the third thing is, it's your full responsibility as a provider to understand the transaction resistance points and then find ways to either mitigate them or hopefully even eliminate them. So what all this works to is what everybody wants, and we hear this, one of these buzzwords, the frictionless transaction, right? We all want a frictionless transaction. One without resistance point. But here's the thing, there's always going to be friction. And I'm here to tell you that that's not only okay, that's a very good thing. Because when we inject our own humanity into the sales process, we can take away some of that friction, help them get through some of the resistance points, we inherently add value to the sales process just by making their purchasing journey either more efficient, easier, faster, whatever it is. So it's actually vitally important. And I think the people here at SkewCon are doing this already. I think you guys are actually doing this already. And this is the stuff that your competition's either unwilling or they're unable to do. So how do we win? How do we move forward? I don't believe that there's a such thing as a frictionless transaction. There's just not. So since there's not, we can do what we can as human beings, as people with our own unique personalities to reduce that friction and put some (coughs) excuse me, humanity back into the sales process. But here's the thing, it's hard to do. So I, that's a very big finger. Um, Are you guys doing that? And there's probably reasons why you're not doing it. I guarantee you not all of us are being human in each one of our sales conversations. And there's likely reasons why. First one is you're probably too comfortable. Maybe you're too comfortable, right? We do, we're human beings. We do drive, what did Mark say? He wanted everybody to sit differently after the break. Every single one of us came back and sat in the same exact chair we were sitting in, right? Because that was comfortable. We drive the same way to work every day because it's comfortable. Roger sat next to me because he's Roger. I am comfortable. So, you know, we gotta move beyond that comfort. And and here's a tip, if you're ever asked to speak in front of a group, puppies always win. Everybody loves puppies. Maybe you got a bad attitude. we've all worked with people who've got really shitty attitudes. And if you have a bad attitude, how are you gonna inject that into the sales process to make it easier for people? Maybe you're scared of making a mistake. Mistakes always kind of have a, when we make mistakes, we kind of hold back a little bit, right? That's my favorite one. <laughs> On what planet? <laughs> How does that even happen? Um, that actually is my favorite. Best wishes Suzanne, underneath that, we will miss you. Anyway, <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes a couple seconds. Uh, <laughs> But maybe we're scared to make a mistake and when we're scared of making mistakes, we tend not to take risks, right? If I'm scared I'm going to screw something up, you're not going to take a risk. For example, this is the first time I've ever done a presentation where there's not bullet points. And I think it's going okay. You guys can judge whether there's not. But it's scary for me. I'm scared. I'm not, I'm looking at my notes far more than I want to. But it's going to help me grow as I keep doing this. So, Don't let fear stop you from injecting your own humanity and being you. I know a lot of people in this room, uh, and I can guarantee you, they would tell you, I'm the same person standing up here or as if I was in front of a customer or having a beer. I'm me. I'm always me. I'm not scared to be me. Maybe you're not hungry. Speaker pro tip number two, cute kids. Everybody loves cute kids. But maybe you're not hungry. You know, I've always said, in my years of managing salespeople, I can't want more for someone than they want for themselves. If someone's happy making whatever they're making, I can't make them want more. So if you're not hungry, you're not going to put any effort into injecting humanity into the sales process. Maybe you just don't care. That's mesmerizing. Maybe you just don't care. Maybe you're just... On autopilot, you just don't care. So if we can remove some of those things and start being ourselves as we go through the... Oh, I've got one more. Maybe And Bobby actually touched on this this morning. Busy. Can't stand the word busy. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm busy. You got time to grab a beer? I'm busy. How was your day? Busy. It's like when I ask my kids when they come home from school, how old school today, they find? Busy is a bullshit word. It's meaningless. I don't know one person. I don't know all of you, but I guarantee you every single one of you is busy. We have families. We have kids. We have careers. We have soccer games to go to, baseball games, hockey games, whatever. We're all busy. So don't allow being busy to say, I can't focus on actually thinking about how to inject on my own humanity in the way I sell because I'm just too busy to do it because that's just bullshit. And if you think you know, busy is not an overused word. Try not to say the word busy for one day. It's impossible because it's so pervasive in our society. So we can reduce the inherent transaction uh, friction in a transaction by reintroducing humanity and being 100% of ourselves in the sales process. And there's nine things I want to talk to you about how we can now, how do we inject humanity into the sales process. And there's things that We're not going to like, and there's things we're going to be okay with. Here's the thing. We all do the big things well. And if you're a distributor or a supplier, Tim and Paul talked about this today. The industry is a machine, and it goes forward. Every single distributor, almost every single supplier does everything well. Product gets produced. Product gets decorated. Uh, Product gets produced. Product gets decorated. Product gets shipped. It gets delivered. People love it. We invoice, I bet everybody in here is very good at invoicing, I'm really good at invoicing. Um, um, we all do the big things well. So it's the small things we need to focus on where we can add humanity, where we can actually do something to move that sales conversation forward to help reduce and eliminate some of the inherent friction of a transaction and the first one I want to talk to is price. Most sales don't like talking about price. I don't want to talk about price price is uncomfortable. I don't like talking about price. But the problem is most salespeople look at price as something to be, you know, money is something to be feared and and maybe even hoarded. It's a scary thing to talk about. Money is always going to be an issue. Whenever you buy anything, money is always an issue. When your clients are buying something, it will always be an issue. It's very rarely the issue, however. And so, w- to really inject a little bit of, your, of humanity into the process, money needs to be viewed as a measure of value, not a measure of payment. Money doesn't represent payment. It represents the v- exchange of value. We talked about earlier, everybody wants to maximize their value. Money represents value. So, the ones, the salespeople who are human, the ones of us in here who are human, if we acknowledge price and we relate to it. I've been with, worked with many sales people and I'm, myself, I've been guilty of it. I don't wanna talk about price because it makes me uncomfortable. But when, I, when I've done it and forced myself to acknowledge it, understand that there's budgetary constraints, now we can relate on a human to human level. Because still at its core, a sales conversation is just a, or sales transaction is a conversation between two people. So when we can relate, it takes that scariness a little bit out of the money and understand that money and price is only part of what forms anybody's buying decision. Is it part of it? Yes. Is it the thing? No. Get comfortable with silence. Bobby said something earlier today, um, and man, I'm glad I didn't have to follow Bobby because he was fantastic. Um, He said, you know, we want to just dump stuff on people. What do you say? Vomit? Want to vomit? uh, My term is, it's a show up and throw up right? I've got so much stuff to tell you and I'm just gonna show, tell you this, this, and this. And the human brain can only process so much information. But we are so convinced, we have the greatest solution. Check out this decoration method and here's the packaging and it's gonna be awesome. And it's so super creative and we tell them all these things, we don't even give people a chance to breathe. So we're all good, very good at talking but we're not so good at pausing. It's not even listening, it's just pausing give people time to digest things. That's, that's a conversation. Think about the conversations you have with people when you're having thoughtful conversations. When you ask somebody a question, it's okay if they take four, a, a, a few seconds to answer. Now in a sales conversation, it's going to feel like 45 seconds or a minute. It's going like, to feel like it's forever. But you have to give people that time to really process the conversation. You start treating people, when you do that, you start treating people, having a conversation, you start treating people as people and not just, I'm selling to you, so let me just give you every possible bit of information you have and please make a decision now. How many of you are good at multitasking? Liar, liar. I don't believe anybody's good at multitasking. I don't, at all. I don't believe it at all. I will tell you my experience, and this is not a billism, these are actual studies. When you focus on single tasking, when you focus on one task at a time, you get far more done and the quality works a lot better. But what happens? We get on the phone with somebody, and we start clicking on Facebook, and we're distracted, and I'm just gonna answer that email while the customer's talking and you hear some. I'm sorry, you were cutting out. Did you, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? We've never said that, right? We've never done anything like that. When you're talking to a customer, do not multitask. How many of you have kids 15 or under? And how many of you like talking to them like this, huh? Uh-huh, what, I'm sorry, did you say something? I mean, that's what my kids do. And it's very hard these days to force them to put that down and, and, look in, and look at me in the eye. We do that too. And that's what I mean by multitasking. So I'm not, it's not a big whole referendum against multitasking as a whole, although well, I don't believe in it, I don't think it works. When you're talking to someone who's making a decision on what you're buying, give them your undivided attention. That's being human, right? That's injecting some humanity in the sales process right there. Communicate. Clients don't want perfect. We've been taught by sales training that clients want this perfect transaction. Clients don't want perfect. They want honest. They just want honest. They want communications to be clear, concise, and candid. Now, I didn't say honest. I said candid. And there's a difference. My wife asks me, does this dress make me look fat? Honesty will get me in a lot of trouble. If, but if I'm candid, I might say, you know, there's another dress that looks a little bit better. Maybe that's, you know, it's, it's, there's a very subtle difference between being honest and being candid. And we have to be candid with our clients. No one likes making a, a call to a client. Does anything ever go wrong with your clients in the order? It's funny, you know, Bobby was talking about explaining our industry and what we do. And, and when I try to, when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm explaining what we do, say, people order product here, and it's delivered here, and there's about 86 opportunities for failure along that line. And so when things go wrong, it stinks to call a client. No one wants to do that. But clients appreciate that type of candid conversation. So it's an all communication. All communications. How about challenging your clients? Are clients always right? Are they? Are they ever right? (laughs) I'm not talking about being Don Draper and walking in and telling a client your ideas are shit. Get out of my office. But what I am saying is if you have a client that's bought the same product from you five years in a row for a trade show, It's incumbent upon you to kind of be a little human and say, well, I could take the quick sale, but maybe there's a better vehicle for them, and maybe I should have that conversation. Say, you know, maybe for the same budget, we can find something that's better. Because what have the results been? Same pen, the same thing over and over again. Challenge your clients. Challenge them. Feedback. I said earlier about my, you know, kids when they come home from school, how was school today? Fine. When we go to our clients and we say it's time to ask how things are going, we say how things, how, how, how are things? And then we white knuckle and they say fine because people aren't inherently nice and they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and they go, thank God they, things are fine and we move right along. Ask for honest feedback, and give your clients permission to give you that honest feedback. Because when you do, and you say, you know, hold on, I'm glad you're happy with the way things are going, that's fantastic, but I have to believe there's ways areas we can improve. That's when a client tells you, yeah, by the way, I didn't want to bring it up, not a big deal, but the sweatshirts we ordered last October, about four of them came with like an inch hole in the right armpit. It wasn't a big deal. We had enough to cover the event. Now, isn't that something you'd want to know? And doesn't that make you more relatable as a salesperson? Wow, this person always do that. It makes you more relatable as, as, a, as a person because I guarantee you if your are competi- they're telling you it's not a big deal, but if you go, if your competition gets in there, first thing they're going to say is, oh, yeah, guy working with now, five sweatshirts, big hole. Didn't even call. So those things that become they, they tell you aren't a big deal um, quickly become a big deal. So get honest feedback. Be passionately curious. I love this one. Be passionately curious. And it has to be genuine with enthusiasm. You know, there's a reason that stereotypical, I'm going to the car lot, and you know, everybody gets that resistance because the guy walks up and says, hey, what can I do to put you into this car today? Right? It feels creepy and it doesn't feel genuine. Instead, you kind of have to think of yourself as a doctor and, and not a salesperson. For example, if I break my arm and I go to the doctor, I don't want the doctor to go, Bill, I am so glad you came in today, because you know what we're going to do? We're going to fix your arm right up. We're going to set it, and look at all these cast colors. And you know, because I like you, I'm not going to charge you. You can pick any one of these cast colors. We're going to set that thing, and it's going to heal in probably about two, three months. You're going to be as good as new. It's going to be fantastic. Now, if I went to a, a doctor like that, that would that'd be weird. That would feel really weird. Instead, a doctor is gonna assess what happened. How did you break your arm? Uh, how much pain are you in? They're gonna take x-rays. They're gonna do some diagnostic tests because if you fell out of a tree and broke your arm, that makes sense that your arm would break, right? But if, let's say, you just tripped and stumbled in the house and your arm broke, maybe, maybe there's another reason it broke. And maybe so, they'll do tests and maybe they find out you have osteoporosis or something like that, that there's another under underlying theme of why your arm broke. We need to do the same thing with our clients and have that conversation. So ask those questions. You mirror that same dynamic in the selling process. It really becomes, again, that human interaction that people are craving. You know, the more digital we get, the more people crave that human interaction. So give them the human interaction. (sighs) Empathy. This is a hard one. Because sometimes, We don't care really about our client's problems, do we? We might want to, but it's hard. And it's important we try to really understand so when we ask them what they're experiencing, we don't just listen with our ears, we listen with our heart as well. Because that person's job might be on the line. It might be something bigger than, I just need you. It might be something bigger than, I just need you to Uh, help me grow sales. Like I said, their job might be on the line. Maybe the company's very close to going out of business. It's more than recognizing client pain. Everybody's able to do that. We're all able to do that. But it's understanding why it's painful. And having that empathetic discussion makes a huge, huge difference. Last one is have the heart of a servant. The most successful salespeople I know, whether it's our industry or any other industry, they're the ones that consistently the clients refer to as friends because they truly just want to help. They want to maximize the client's value out of the transaction. And that's a real dynamic shift. The great salespeople, they leverage what we do. They leverage promotional products to make sure that they're gonna get a value as a result. And by the same token, they're authentic about it. So if, I, if they're in front of a client, and they can't help them, they're not gonna take a quick sale, they're gonna refer them to someone who can. Because that's what we'd want a friend to do. That's what I'd want someone to do. I think that's what we'd all want someone to do. Great salespeople that inject humanity into the process always always makes serving the needs of the client the primary focus of every conversation. It goes beyond, how can I help you? It's how can I help you solve that, short-term, medium-term, long-term? How can I help propel you forward? How can I erase this issue from happening again? It's having that conversation. So you show me, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like the old Zig Ziglar approach. Remember his famous quote, to get the things I want, I first have to get help other people get the things that they want. And that's still true today. I don't care if that quote's 70 years old. It's still just as true today. To get the things I want, I first have to help others get what they want. So to recap this real quick, acknowledge price. It's there. Price exists. Acknowledge it. Understand it. Empathize with it. Embrace silence. Like Bobby said, it's not vomit or as I would say, a show up and throw up. Ask questions and then patiently wait for the answers. And it's not the old stales thing of whoever speaks first loses. I'm not saying that, but just give people time to digest. If it's been a couple, like five or six seconds, say, do you, do you need me to clarify that? You know, do you understand, you know, ask the question. Stop multitasking and learn to single task. When you're talking to a client, don't do other things. We're all guilty of it. I'm, this is probably the hardest one for me personally. So don't multitask, single task. Challenge your clients. Challenge your clients. And I skipped one, which is communicate with clarity. So communicate with clarity on everything you do. Be candid, be concise, and be clear in all your communications. Challenge your clients. Challenge them to do better. Challenge them because you can help them achieve more. Challenge them because you know you can make their lives easier. I've always had a very simple theory when I'm working with a a, a client or someone I'm trying to sell. Whoever's across the desk from me, I know what their worst day of the year is at work. Everybody know what that is? Annual review. Anybody get an annual review? It's the worst. You get a piece of paper, And you're evaluated on paper. And you get to hear things like, well, I can't give you all fives. Nobody gets all fives. You're weird things like that. So if I can help the person across the desk from me have a better annual review, I know I'm I'm being human. I'm helping them out tremendously. So if it's a VP of sales, what's he measured on? Top line growth, bottom line revenue. I know if it's uh, if it's a human resources individual, they might be measured on uh, talent retention or talent acquisition or how, how effective training is, so on and so forth. So think in those terms. Ask for honest feedback, right? Don't accept fine as an answer. Fine is, a, is another word for mediocre and I don't care to really give you the entire answer. Be passionately curious. Be truly empathetic as much as you can with your clients and have the heart of a servant. Those are the things that allow you to create a human experience. And whatever friction is in the transaction, it helps you move around it, maneuver through it, mitigate it, or obliterate it completely because you're invested. It's about being invested. But here's here's the thing. We don't get to decide if we're injecting if we're being human we don't decide that the customer does the customer decides that ultimately if we're doing that so we're having a great time here at SKUcon fabulous event many of you are sticking around for the ASI show so you get back to your offices early next week so what you're going to learn a lot of things you've written a lot of things down in all the great sessions so what happens next week when the shit hits the fan Oops. Oh, it stopped working. Oops. good Lord, I know Okay. So what happens? <laughs> there we go. What happens next week when the shit hits the fan? Because it will. And you'll forget everything you learned and you'll go back to doing the same thing you always have done. You go back to doing the same thing you've always done. So if there's one thing I want to leave you with today, and the underlying thing of all this is you have to care. You have to to truly care. Because if you don't, there's no way you can inject any sort of humanity into the sales process. Not at all. It it can't be done. I've always said, when I'm training salespeople, I can teach someone to prospect, I can teach someone to sell, I can teach them product, I can teach them how to close, I can teach them how to have conversations, I can teach them how to present. I cannot, however, teach them to care. I can't. No one can you either care or you don't. So care in my world stands for client focus in everything we, I do. Client focus in everything you do helps you, again, focus on their needs, not yours. Accountability to yourself, your client, your company, your boss, your family, whatever. It's still about building relationships in our industry very, very much. So as much as we can build relationships, build, how many of you have clients you refer to as friends? And mean it. Not just say, oh, my clients are my friends, but actually really mean it. And that's a lot of us, right? Treat everyone of your clients like a friend. And and create that experience. So like I said, of all the things I spoke about today, it's caring. And if you can strive to care 100% of the time, you're going to have more rewards than you can ever imagine. Are there any questions? Because we've got about five or ten minutes. I'm a little early. So do we have any questions other than, wow, no questions. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. right how do you still still inject humanity into that process You, you can yeah I am I will absolutely thank you yep so the question is when it's an online buying experience how can I inject any sort of humanity into it it's a great question and so I said this is new content and it is but some of you may not have heard this story so I'll tell a story so Most most of you know I ruptured my Achilles tendon in Las Vegas a year and a half ago by skipping. It's a true story. Um, So don't skip if you're over 45. It's a bad idea. And I had surgery, and I couldn't walk for six weeks, and I wanted to get a knee scooter. Anybody ever know when a knee scooter is? You ride around like this? And I ordered one from Amazon. I'm an Amazon Prime member. I'm sure most of us are. And I ordered it on a Friday, it was supposed to come on a Monday, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and on Sunday night, as it happens, a huge snowstorm hit and dropped about a quarter inch of snow on the ground, paralyzing the city, so nothing was going to be delivered. Next day, I had a doctor's appointment, and that's also now the, delivery, the delayed delivery day. The doctor says, Bill, you need to start putting partial weight on your foot, and I did, but that means I don't need the knee scooter, so I had a problem right then and there. That's a transaction which was now a lot of friction because now I've got this big box coming to my house. I ended up having a chat session with a guy named Jake. I still remember his name. That's how powerful it was. I don't know if his real name was Jake, but I remember the little name on the box, said Jake. And very quickly, Jake was able to stop the delivery. So the box is never delivered to my house, and that's really all I wanted. Able to credit my credit card back immediately, uh, even though... Uh, He said because the box never left their possession so I didn't have to wait for it to go back to the warehouse. Andy gave me a $10 gift card on my Amazon Prime account. So there is injecting some humanity into the process. So you have to find those opportunities because they're not readily apparent, right? And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, a lot of buying decisions are made without really getting us involved, right? I mean, I do it all the time. It's when you are involved that's when you got to inject that humanity. So I I don't know if I answered your question, but I babbled on long enough, so. (laughs) Does anyone else have a question? So the question is to make sure I understand it, in recruiting salespeople to your company, how do you uncover if they actually care or not? I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I think it's just, you, you kind of, as you have a conversation with somebody, you can really uncover a lot about them. And I love having interviews where I talk very little about the job itself. I want to talk about them. If I'm interviewing, if I'm interviewing them, I've already made the decision in my head, I think they're qualified to do the job, so I don't need to ask you know, nothing, we've all been through interviews. Nothing is worse than when they have my resume in front of them and they're asking me things right off my resume. I'm like, are you just checking to see if I remember the lies I put on here? Because I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's having that conversation. One of my friends specifically has his interviews at 5 o'clock on a Thursday or Friday evening at a bar. A, he wants to see how, people, how they conduct themselves in that type of a social situation, but B, He just wants to get out of that office and have a real conversation. So I think he just, it's unfortunately, probably just reading people in your own radar. Can you tell if somebody cares? And you can tell by their behaviors. Like I can tell when my kids don't care what I'm saying when their nose is buried in their phone. It's Pretty easy. Hey Bill, I've got a question. I've got the mic here, so you don't have to repeat this one. Well, that's unfortunate because repeating the question makes me formulate the answer, so I'm well, going to have to actually answer. You can repeat it if you wish. Um, I'm, and, and so this is a, it's a kind of an amusing question, but, it, but I'm serious when I ask it. How much business have you been able to generate from your Friday afternoon beer photos on social media, if any? So the question mark, No. <laughs> I don't know. I can't draw anything to it. But when I started Brandivate, I made it a clear decision early on. So I've been in the industry for 16 years. And for the first 14 years, I don't think many people knew who I was. I had friends. I mean, I've known Dana Zezo for probably almost all 16 of those years. But I made the decision, if I'm going to start my own little service provider in the industry, I have to share me. And I've got to be me the entire time. And so, I do. I enjoy a frosty malted beverage on a Friday, I'm not unlike anybody else in this industry. That sounded judgmental, Roger. Um, so I thought it would be fun to just, here's the adult beverage of the week. And the first person, you, you immediately respond to it, and the next person was Jeff Batson, who's sitting right here, and sent me some custom branded Shelby tumblers that say the brand of eight adult beverage of the week. And it just had, became a life of its own. And now people, I know some people don't like it, and that's okay, you can skip over the post, but I get a lot of engagement, and I don't care that I'm known as the beer guy, because people know me, and it, it's, it's part of me. I've had, I'll tell you where I have seen it really just, um, I've had people I don't know send me beer. I mean, and it's expensive to ship beer. You've gotta pack it properly. But I mean, it's wonderful. So if you wanna send me beer, you can go to my website, right? <laughs> Um, so, I, I can't draw any specific business to it. I think you absolutely. I know you. Okay. I'm sorry. I mean, we met through Adult Beverage of the Week. I thought you were going to say Adult something else, and I was about to get very uncomfortable. <laughs> now, that's too human for me to <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's how our relationship struck, and then I sent you some mugs because I thought it would be fun to see our Tumblr with the adult beverage of the week, and we have a business relationship that came out of that. Right. No, so there you go. So it has helped that, and it's helped people just, again, get to know me. Like I said, I made the decision two years ago, I'm just going to be me all the time, whether I'm here, in front of, you know, and anybody knows me, this is me, this is what you get, good or bad good question yes ma'am here let me give you the microphone Um, I think we I enjoy hearing from us one salesperson to another kind of the topic of failure that Mm -hmm. started this morning so I'm gonna ask you that question what um, would you say your biggest failure as a salesperson specifically has been in your 16-year career And maybe the lesson you learned or maybe you didn't learn anything and it was just a failure. (laughs) The biggest mistake I've made as a salesperson, that's a really good question because there's been a lot, as, you know, everybodys I think the biggest mistake I made, and this is me being extraordinarily transparent, and it's not something I enjoy sharing, um, but I lied to a customer. Flat out, bold faced, lied. And I got caught. They caught me and I fell on my sword, and it was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have. And I said, I'm gonna be honest with you because I wasn't earlier. I lied to you. It didn't ship when I told you it was gonna ship. Lost the client. And I learned, don't lie to your clients. It was one of those, you know, we all have those moments where things are going fast and you make a stupid decision. And that's exactly what it was. It wasn't calculated, it wasn't, It was a million things were happening. I got a phone call from an upset client. I didn't look, and I said, absolutely, it chipped. So, how's that for honesty? I'm sorry? Well, I think all of us have probably done something like that before. I'm just dumb enough to admit it. (laughs) I you know, I, I think what I really took away from that, obviously don't lie from client to clients, but it's better to say, I don't have that information, give me a couple minutes and I'll get it to you. I know you need it and give them an identifiable timeline and stick to it. That's probably really what I learned. And don't talk to clients. Thank you guys very much. I hope this was valuable to you guys, at least little bits and pieces. Thank you.